Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is February 9th, 2022, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. And we pray as we open your word this evening that you will give us wisdom as we focus our attention on the text before us. Thank you for those who have assembled themselves and those who will be joining us as well. And we pray for wisdom, Father. We also pray for those who are sick among us. Uh, we pray for uh, my Aunt Helen in particular, whom uh, we have heard is having some, some illnesses and spent some time in the hospital. So. Also, we pray for the Haddon family and the Presley family and the Myers family, all the Word is Truth Christian Church families, Dwight and Dave and uh, all of us who, uh, Lord, you know our hearts, you know what is on our heart. And we pray for not only healing, financial assistance, so that we can keep our focus uh, solidly on you and your word. So we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, as you know, we are studying in the book of Romans. And we've been working our way through Romans chapter 10. And we happen to be on verse 12 today. Uh, and we're, we're going to just note that other lessons are available on the website which is wordistruth.com. So if you missed anything or if there's something you want to catch up on, uh, you can always go to the website and you can fill in the blanks uh, if there's some verse, particular verse that you wanted to focus on. I'm sure you could find it there on the web. So our verse in question tonight is Romans 10:12. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. So in your notes, what we know about the universal nature of God's offer of salvation is that it answers the universal condemnation and spiritual death of all in Adam. Salvation is available to all and its racial distinctions do not matter. It is for the religious or those staunchly atheist. Not only is divine provision made for all mankind, but God pursues them persistently to inform them of this divine benefit. So we are going to try to chop at this uh, one phrase at a time. So the first phrase, for there is no difference between Jew and and Gentile. So the first thought is the context here is of salvation. I'm hoping that's not a stretch for somebody to try to figure out because of where we have been. We've been talking about salvation since the beginning of this chapter where Paul goes in and says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So we know that the conversation here is about salvation. Uh, it's not a question, it's 
hopefully a foregone conclusion for us. So, but there, the context is it's about salvation. Uh, but as I say, let's review because there are differences between the two groups. And I say God called a nation. So, you know, it's interesting. So if the, if the phrase says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, and then in my first thought is, hey, there are differences between the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, then obviously we need to make some adjustments as to why I think that is. In other words, if you, there's some direct contradiction of what the text says above, I need to explain myself, and I hope you understand that, because it's important that we make sure uh, things flow according to what the Bible is saying. So let's just review that one more time. So what I'm saying is the text says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And I said, but let's review because there are differences between the two groups, Jew and Gentile. And for instance, God called a nation. And so obviously when we think about that, there is no contradiction but what we do have is uh, a context. The context is about salvation. And so, so point B is where I'm trying to help us understand what the differences are and what the differences are not. So our text is saying there are no differences. Obviously, it's talking about salvation. We're going to let's just look at the places where it does not matter at all. All right. So. Uh, that's point B. There, there, there is a difference between Jew and Gentile when it comes to calling. However, there are two places where it does not matter at all. So the Romans 1.16 passage above, that deals with to the Jew first and then the Gentile. So there is some difference. God, no, God is, we can't just say there's no difference whatsoever because there is difference when we put it in the context of salvation and, and we understand that God called the nation. So yeah, there's, there's differences. God didn't call every person in the world to the Jewish nation. That's a very specific thing he was doing with the Jews. So we'll, we'll talk more about that later. So in this point, point B, there's no difference. There is a difference between Jew and Gentile when it comes to calling, as we just noted. However, there are two places where it does not matter at all. So let's talk about that. One, when it comes to salvation, there is no difference. Now, <clears throat> we, we just want to review uh, Romans 3.12 and then 19 through 22. So let's look at that. Stand by. Romans 3.12. So 3.12 says... Uh, actually, it should be three ten. No, no, three nine. Did I put what did I put in here? Oh, I did. It should. I'm gonna, I'm going to correct my notes. So it's three nine. I'm sorry. Okay. So three nine says, "What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? And no, uh, not at all. For we all have already made the charge." that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So when it comes to being under the power of sin, there is no difference. 
Paul is saying. There's, there's no advantage that the Jews have, even though God did call the Jew as his priest nation. There's no doubt about that. That's specific. But when it comes to salvation, there is no difference. They're all under sin. If you keep reading, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who seek after God. There is none who do good, uh, not even one. He's referring to the universal condemnation and unrighteousness and sin nature that plagues mankind. This is true of everybody, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And then verses 19 through 22. So uh, 19 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So notice, not, Jew, not just Jews, but the whole world. So if, we, if we're saying that um, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, well, this verse would certainly be uh, pulled, we could certainly pull this verse in as evidence of that fact. If, if the whole world is held accountable to God, that means the whole world is under sin. The whole world is under uh, what is said earlier about being unrighteous. And, uh, you know, this, if we don't understand this, it's important, then we don't see salvation as for all. And, you know, we're getting to that, too. But this whole world being held accountable to God means that they uh, have to be uh, responsible to God. So, and, that, and that's important. So let's keep going. Therefore, no one, when it says no one, it means no one in the world will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So obviously, uh, the Jew is, is brought to bear. The, you know, the law is spoken of. And, and only the Jews really have the Mosaic law. The, the Mosaic law did not go to all Gentiles. So, there was, so, when it, so, so the Jew thinks that he can be righteous by keeping the law. That's false assumption. So verse 20, it says, No one can be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Only the Jews had the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the Jews are supposed to see the law, not from the standpoint of, oh, if I do this, I'll be justified. Uh, they, re they turn the whole thing around because the, the law was supposed to show them their sinfulness, who they really are before God. Unfortunately, they, they twisted that. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So notice, uh, whatever righteousness, now God is introducing a righteousness, but it's not a righteousness because you, you've earned it, or you, you, you saw the law and you said, well, I'm going to do everything the law says, now I did it, now God, are you pleased with me? And God is saying, absolutely not. There's none righteous, not even one. But there is a righteousness we can get, from God. That's a righteous standing that he gives us, as we're going to see, by grace. And it has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. Now, the law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament. 
And what does it mean they testified? Because they spoke of it. All we've got to do is know about Abraham and Abel and all the people who were saved in the Old Testament. Right? This is even before the law was even introduced. They were, there were people becoming righteous through faith. And so the Old Testament bears witness to that. So verse, uh, let's keep going. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all have sinned. When did all sin? All sinned when Adam sinned. Fall short of the glory of God. There's a reference to the fact that we possess a sin nature and, and we are unrighteous before God. Verse 24, and all are justified. Again, that's all meaning every person. And if you think about the context of what, where we came from, the whole world being held accountable to God, then that all here is universal, all mankind. They are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Right? So it, it, there is literally um, you know, no difference between Jew and Gentile, as we said in verse 22. It's given to all through faith in Jesus Christ, to so all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. So, no difference. Think about it. And Gentiles didn't have the law. So, if, if the Jew is looking at the Gentile get justified, obviously it does not have anything to do with keeping the law, because they didn't have the law. So, that should be clear. Uh, so, so, when it comes to salvation... Not only our condemnation, our spiritual death, it doesn't matter. Everybody alike is under what we call the bad news. So the bad news is a part of every person ever born on planet Earth under Adam. So point number two, when it comes to our identity in Christ, there is no difference. So these are two areas where, just like it says, there is no difference. One is salvation, which we already know the context of Romans 10 is. But here's another place where there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And that's first scripture is Galatians 3.28. Let's look at it. We'll, we'll go through these quickly. Galatians 3.28, because it's not like the first time we discovered it. So it says, <clears throat> and obviously it comes through the baptism of the Spirit. I'll read 327. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. So once you're in Christ, once you're baptized into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this oneness that we have in Christ comes because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter. You, if, you're, if you were Jew, well, it didn't matter. You, you're not Jew anymore. If you're Gentile, it says, no, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile. What does that make you? Something other than Jew and Gentile. And we are one in Christ. We are also called the church, the body of Christ, or the fullness of him. If I go to Ephesians 1. There's a lot of different terms for who we are in Christ. So that's Galatians 3.28. It literally just comes right out and says there's none of those distinctions matter. I want to read Ephesians 2.14 and 15 as well. Let's go there. 
Ephesians chapter 2, 14 and 15 says, <clears throat> For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, and the two groups he's referring to are Jews and Gentiles. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So one new, new humanity, I just, it just literally just says one new man, right? one new person. And, and that's what that is, is a reference to the body of Christ. Again, the oneness that we have in Christ. And notice he took from the two groups and he made one new, never before seen man. And that is the difference, right? That's something. So we were Jews, we were Gentiles, but because of the baptism of the Spirit, we're no longer that anymore. Now, I know, I know a lot of people who are Christians in this age who, um, who may be saved by grace don't understand that or don't uh, operate in their thinking according to those, uh, those truths. These things are what God has called us. These terms in Christ you know, one in him, not Gentile anymore, not Jew anymore. But God sees us that way. So last verse, Colossians 3, 9 through 11. Let's look at that one. Colossians 3, 9 through 11 says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So again, another verse to tell us that uh, we are not Jew or Gentile. Although, like I said, people are still running around talking about their they're Jews or they're Gentiles, Jews for Jesus and all these things. When really the scripture is clear, once you're in Christ, none of those distinctions matter anymore. There is no difference. I should just say it that way, just like the scripture does. So point C, let's keep going because we got a lot to cover. God is the one who made the distinction between Jew and Gentile by creating the Jewish nation Israel. So this is a point to say that there are I mean, where did Jews and Gentiles come from in the first place? Well, God did that. There was At one point, there was nothing but Gentiles on the earth. And I don't even know if you want to call them Gentiles, but that, that's what it was. It was nothing but Gentiles until God created the Jew and then formed the nation Israel. Then there became what we call Jews and Gentiles. So all of that is not our doing. It's not something that happened from man's doing. As we learned in Romans 9, God is the one who created the Jew, you know, Israel, through the, the, cho the choosing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the one who did that. And, and so we could say there is no difference. But yeah, it depends on what's going, what, what we're talking about, as we said earlier. There is a difference. God is the one who made the difference. But when it comes to certain things, as we have discussed, those two things, salvation and our calling, you know, it doesn't matter. 
point D. So the areas where there is a difference, we should recognize and note. The areas where there is no difference are just as important. So, so notice, we, we, can, we can have two things. There is a difference uh, when it comes to the calling, right? The Jews, God didn't choose everybody to be in the nation of Israel. Uh, and then, uh, and by the way, when you look in the Old Testament and you read, yeah, there are differences between Jew and Gentile. Uh, this is not something we want to uh, make a big deal out of. We just want to note it. We want to make sure we understand what happened in, in those times. Uh, and then when he's referring to salvation or our calling, there is no difference. We're not under the law. All those things are true. But in the Old Testament, there were such a thing as Jews and Gentiles. And as the church, when the church leaves here, when the church is raptured or caught away, then we will see in Revelation, again, Jews and Gentiles, just to note. So point D. So the areas, oh, I think we talked about that already. We should, the areas where there is a difference, we should recognize and note in the areas where there is no difference are just as important for us to note. Okay, point two. So, so there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And this is point two. The, the same Lord is the Lord of all. So here, there is only, this is the first thought, there is only one God. And Jesus is, our, is Lord of all. So this is how God is representing himself. And these are some of the ways he, when it says there's it's the same Lord, he's Lord of all. There is no God for different races. So if you were in, a, I know if you're, some people think if you're Asian, well, then you know, you, you, you're not going to be Christian or if you're, um, you know, semantic or something, you're not going to be a Christian or if you're Jewish, you're not going to be this. Everybody thinks their own religion comes with gods. Now, there is um, Hinduism, which boasts of many gods, a multiplicity of gods. They have family gods. There's gods, I mean, you, can, you can't even name all the gods there are. So when it comes to that, uh, but what we find in the Bible here is that there's no, all, all of that is false thinking because there is only one God for all mankind. That's it. So, so let me just read it again. There is no God for different races, religions, or isms, whatever ism you happen to belong to, um, then... It, they don't have their own God. There is but one God. I'm going to read a couple scriptures in this regard. And this is Acts chapter 17, 16 through 27. So let's look at that. I'm sure we read this before. 17, <clears throat> 16 through 27. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Why was he greatly distressed? Because idols are nothing. Those are false gods. And Paul didn't like it. Okay, He was distressed to see that that's what was going on there. People were uh, focused on all these different gods. 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace by day 
day by day with those who happened to be there. So notice, Paul didn't, he didn't um, focus on the idols. You know, he, he was focused on the true God and he was going to witness. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is the, this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed, to be, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said uh, this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So then they took him and brought him in, uh, to a meeting of the Aragopolis. Aragopas, I think, hopefully I can pronounce that correctly, where they said to him, may we know, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking, talking and listening to the latest ideas. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aragopas and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and the earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations and they sh that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and their bound the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any of us. So I, I give you this passage to note how just the perspective of the Apostle Paul and God working through him to deliver this message to show the universality of God. There is not a God that did something else and a God who was over there managing the sun and there's just one God Paul is making. And this one God has done everything. This one God has given life to every person that is on the earth. And he is, you know, these scriptures are valuable to our understanding as we think about who God is and what about other religions? Do, <clears throat> what's, I mean, they didn't grow up in Christian circles, so what? how are they going to hear the gospel and all those questions, uh, Paul speaks to those things in these verses, which is really, I think, valuable to our discourse. So just to note, those verses to me tell us a story. It tells us that there is one and only God. It's the same Lord, the one who made the heavens and the earth. Same Lord is Lord of all. And then I have Revelation 7, 9, and 10. I just read that. Uh, Revelation 7, 9, and 10 says, after, after this, I looked, 
And there before me was a great white, I'm sorry, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So there is to God and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This is the only way of salvation. And notice, it's not just some people on some at some region of the earth or some race of the earth or whatever religion they happen to be. This is who do we see here this, in this great multiple multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. I mean, there it is. He is the God that we serve. Is the God of all, not some, not some, all. And that's what we, this verse is telling us. Point B, salvation is found in no one else. For This is just a quote from Romans 4, uh, Acts 4.12. No one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And Acts, Acts 4.12. So just notice there is no other name. There is no other salvation. Uh, there is no other means of salvation or way of salvation. This is it through Jesus Christ. Now, some people think that's that's arrogant for us to say that, you know, because there's so many religions and we must respect all these religions. And but but this, there is no compromise. This is it. There is no other way. There is no other name whereby we must be saved. So, no compromise. Point C, God's desire and unlimited atonement speak of his salvation as universal in nature. God is not saying, well, I'm saving just the Jews. Or I'm saving just the Gentiles. No, it's universal. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. We'll go through these quick. <coughs> 1 Timothy 2, 3, this is good and pleases God, our Savior. So God is pleased with this. This is something that is part of his will to do. And so, so here it is, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Those two things are important for God. It, he's pleased if that is what can happen on earth. Uh, verse 5, for there is one God, and one mediator between God and mankind, and the, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. So there's not, it doesn't matter where, where you were born. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what race you are in. It doesn't matter what region of the earth you are in. This is universal. There's only one man who is the mediator, one God, right, who is, who is to be, where we can be reconciled. And... and Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time. In other words, Christ did come. And, and this, is, this is the time. And God did reconcile the world to himself through Christ. 
And now the offer of salvation goes out to every person in the world. I mean, that hasn't changed, but some of the details of salvation have changed. In other words, we now know it is the Lord Jesus Christ. So back to our notes. We also have 2 Peter 3.9, which is another verse. Um, 2 Peter 3. Let's go to it. Uh, so the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Here is his will again. It's, it's burning desire in his heart, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, so it's important. This is, this is a, another verse expressing the will of God. 1 John 2.2, 2, I'm going to just, just quote it for you. It says, And he, that is Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So God paid for every sin of every person without exception. Every person in the world, wherever they are, whenever they were born, right? This is all part of God's uh, plan to save all. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 is another one. We're talking about the universality of not only what God has done, but who he is, the, the fact that he's the only God, the only savior of all. 2 Corinthians, wait a minute. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. So in other words, if Christ died for everybody, everybody must have been dead. That's what this verse is reasoning. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, but verse 14 nails it. It says that this is the God's love. In other words, it's his will to send Christ and to die for all the ones that were, had already died. In other words, that were dead. And that's the whole human race. So without exception, as we discussed. And then verse 19, as you know, in the same chapter, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And look at this, not counting people's sins against them. So the sins of the world, right? The reconciling the world. And what about it? Not counting the world's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I must say this. I hope this is the gospel that is on your lips when you go talk to people. Are you making an issue of sin? Are you trying to pin them down and tell them that they need to repent or, or that they need to uh, you know, keep the, the law for salvation or, or some other thing, that salvation is not grace and their sins matter? No, our sins were never imputed to us for judgment. They were imputed to Christ on the cross. That is the message of reconciliation. So this is what should be on our lips. Continuing, point D, compromise on this point is not possible. There is only one God, that is it. So and these verses are telling us uh, it's the same Lord of all, 
right? That's it. It's the same Lord, and he is Lord of all, not Lord of some, Lord of all. So Psalm 115, 3 to 8, let's look at that. Psalm 115, 3 to 8, let's look at that. We haven't been here in a while. Let's, well, maybe you haven't. Maybe in your personal studies you've been here. 115, 3 to 8, let's look at this. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. So will all who trust in them. So there again, God is just detailing for you. <laughs> he is not like all of those idols and false gods and uh, you know things that people have constructed in their minds to say that this is God or that is God. This is what we worship. 1 Timothy 1.17, and it's all for nothing, God is saying. 1 Timothy uh, 1.17. Let's look at that. So it says simply, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a doxology, but it's pretty clear. The only God, the King eternal. I love that verse. So, and so he is, he is this last part of our, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. So we're going to go through these points and we're going to uh, conclude this thought with this verse, and uh, we will uh, take some time for some Q&A. So let's, and richly blesses all who call on him. First thought, to be richly blessed in this context is about salvation. How do we know that? Verse 13 in Romans, let's go back to Romans. Let's make sure we uh, are focusing and paying attention to the context so, third, so here, I'll read it, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And then he, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have to say this is a salvation context. So that's what he's dealing with. We already know that, but I just wanted to make sure we understood what does it mean for them to be richly blessed, right? We, we, we just had to put that in the perspective of the context. Point B, God rescues us uh, through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ from, should be our position of death. Now, these are just some of the things that, are, where, that salvation does for us. He rescues us from our position of death. And when we say of death, what do we mean? What, how does he rescue us from that? He gives us life, eternal life and spiritual life. We're born again, right? Uh, that's the kind of life we get as a, to reverse the, the death that we have as a result of Adam. Therefore, 
sin came into this world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death spread to all. And this is um, Romans 5.12. So, and then condemnation, right? So condemnation by one man, uh, his disobedience, condemnation was for all men. So this is what happened in the beginning, but how does God rescue us from condemnation? He provides justification. He reverses condemnation because we receive the righteousness of Christ. And sinfulness. Well, what can reverse sinfulness? Well, that's where Adam sinned and we all inherit a sin nature. What reverses that is the propitiation. What Christ did is he took every sin of every person that would ever be born on planet Earth. And then there's the baptism of the Spirit that also counters sin because it separates us from the sin nature. So while we were sinners, right, we were sinful, right, the baptism of the Spirit takes us, takes us out of Adam and unites us to the person of Christ where there is righteousness, life, and peace. Uh, and then the resurrection, ultimately, because not everybody's going to have the baptism of the Spirit, but the resurrection will uh, give us new spiritual bodies and we will no longer be associated with Adam's original sin. And this is now, when I say we, I mean others who are not in the age where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going on. So how do they get free from their sinfulness? Ultimately, it will be their resurrection. And unrighteousness. Well, like we already read in Romans 3, there is none righteous, not even one. Well, how does God reverse that? Uh, how does he richly bless us? It is through Christ's righteousness. He gives us. As we uh, come to Christ, we believe in him. He's, he took our sins already, whether we believed in him or not. He already took our sins, but upon believing in him, we receive credit for his righteous life on earth. God imputes his righteousness to our account. We are as righteous as he is. So, so there you have it. <clears throat> God does richly bless us. And how does he do it? He reverses all of the things that we call the bad news. Point C, all who call on him, all who call on him is the last phrase. Uh, who can call on him? And these are the universal appeals to those who are on planet Earth. And what does he say? Anybody or whoever. We can see that from John 3, 16. Whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish. And, and who is whoever? Jews and Gentiles. And 1 Corinthians 10, 32 and 33 details for us uh, the, the different categories of people on the earth. Uh, where it says, give no offense to the Jews, the Gentiles, or the church of God. Right, so Jews and Gentiles, or you might say Greeks there, but Greeks are representative of Gentiles in that verse. But they uh, are re representative also of the categories of humanity on the earth, Jews and Gentiles. Now, if you're Jew or Gentile and the church of God is listed there, obviously you're not saved if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile. Let me just say that again. If you're a Jew or a Gentile in this age, you are unsaved because the only saved people in this age are people who are in the church. The only way to get in the church 
is through the gospel, Ephesians 3, 6. So just, we just want to make that uh, you know, plain so that people uh, understand that being a Jew or a Gentile is not a positive thing in this age. Uh, the only people who are saved in this age are those who are in Christ, the church. And, and if you're in the church, there is no Jew, as we already saw, and there is no Gentile. So you calling yourself a Jew or Gentile is not uh, a proper biblical term for us in this age. Point D, as we discussed, the context here is to the Jew. So even though he's talking about who calls on him, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jew. And verses 16 through 19, which we will get to in Romans 10, uh, I'll just read it because just to note, it is dealing with Israelites, right? Verse 16, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So again, he's talking to, in context, the Jews, and he's trying to help them understand salvation by grace. 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And he continues, and Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who, who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. So just notice, even in verse 21, but Israel, but concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. We're covering all these verses in the coming weeks, so stay tuned. But um, just to note, context is of Israel. <laughs> no surprise there. So we're going to have to quit. I know we've uh, come to the end of what we wanted to talk about today. But this gives us some opportunity for some Q&A, and I'll just pause for a minute to see if we have some questions on the table. So I will pause. Floor is open. Okay. So I had a question. This was stemmed from last week. Sure. Go right ahead. But it's in line with today's study, too. Mm -hmm. So um, when Christ was talking to Nicodemus, and he said to him, unless one is born again, you will not be the kingdom of heaven. So I think we had this discussion before where we stated that they were born again in the Old Testament. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. So this so born again is is, is not, not part of this mystery. Um, but then over in, in Peter, I think it's, uh, first Peter, when Peter talks about being born again in first Peter one twenty three, mm -hmm. we're talking about in the dispensation of the church now, right? It says you have been born again, not a personal seed, but in personal. First Peter one twenty three. Twenty. Uh -huh. 
For you have been, yes, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Uh-huh. Go right in. So now, so now over here, we're in, the mystery, we're, in the, we're in the mystery, right? Well, Peter, Peter is talking to people who are in this age. Yes, that is true. Right. So, so when God was, was referring to it back to Nicodemus, um, it's the same process, but it has nothing to do with the mystery. That is correct. So, that is correct. Yep. Yeah. Born again is so it's a universal concept that happened in the Old Testament is and it does have it continues to happen. So born again is is another way of talking about those who are saved, right? So born again, we talked about spiritual death, right? Spiritual death, what is the reversal of that? It would be life. How you get spiritual life? You got to be born again, right? And born again by means of the spirit. So <clears throat> so some people have talked about these ministries of the spirit as though they are unique to the church. But only 5 of the ministries of the spirit are unique to the church and that is Baptism of the Spirit, sealing ministry of the Spirit, uh, indwelling of the Spirit, gifting of the Spirit, and uh, did, I, did I say the filling? Uh, or the seal? Did I say? I, I, I might have uh, said one twice. But in any case, those are the only ones that are unique to the church. Right? Just to be born again. Right. Um, or where God the Holy Spirit makes effective your salvation uh, is part of everybody's experience in the world, all mankind. But go right ahead. So I was just going to say, so even though God took the two, the Jews and Gentiles, and made one new man and part of the church, the fact that they were both the new man and the, the Jew, because he was talking to the Jews and back over in um, John, they they were um, born again by the Spirit. Absolutely, yeah. So, in other so, words, to be in the so, church, go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just saying. So they had so they had the the same makeup as someone being born again in the church age, or someone being born again. Prior to the church age, yes, it's the same new. Well, well, we say a new man because God took the, the Jew and the Gentile made a new man, which has never been made before. But that person still became a new, even the Jew being born again. There was something new about him that wasn't prior to him being born again. Well, and um, he had everything. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say when you look at Ephesians chapter two, is where you're talking about made one new man. That is not uh, a reference to being born again. That's more of a reference to the baptism of the Spirit because that's how one new man is made. And that is uh, through uh, the, where God unites both Jews and Gentiles in one body. So that's part of uh, what we could say post-salvation work in this age. But being born again, <clears throat> that is... Like we were saying, it's universal. Uh, it's a requirement for people in this age. 
It's a requirement for Jews. It was a requirement for Gentiles. They need to be born again before uh, whatever uh, calling over their life will be realized. So God called the Jew, but the way the Jew could properly respond to God's call is they would need to be born again. Of course, the Jews resisted that. That's where it says, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. Well, what was the Holy Spirit trying to get him to do? To be born again, to be saved. And then they could live their life, their calling out in Israel. So same here with the church. So what does the Holy Spirit need to get us to do? Same thing, be born again, be saved, be justified. And these are all ways of talking about salvation. And then what happens as a result of us? Well, we're baptized by the Spirit, we're sealed by the Spirit, we're indwelt by the Spirit, we're filled by the Spirit, we're gifted by the Spirit. These are all things that happen to us in particular in this age, uh, but only as we have come through the door of salvation. Go right ahead, Bill. Okay. So I, I was just trying to see if they had the same... Um, what, what was necessary to receive. Well, obviously they didn't because the baptism of the Spirit hadn't occurred. They right. just had the, the, uh, the born again, which was done by the Spirit. Right. Not the baptism of the Spirit. Correct, yeah. Yeah. That that is. So Peter's, Peter's saying, you know, about being, his verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed by a living and enduring word of God. So again, that's not a reference to the church age doctrines per se. Although, you, in order to experience any church age doctrine, this needed to happen, salvation, right? You needed to be saved in order to be a part of the church, which is different from Israel. See, in Israel, you didn't have to be saved. You could just have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, it's not God's preference that you not be saved, it was his preference that you would not resist the Holy Spirit. But um, they continue with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the genes, and they're Israel, but uh, they're not fulfilling God's purpose. But they're still Jews. They're still a racial identity as Jews or Israel, but not so in the church. If you are not saved, you are not part of the church, period. You are either a Jew or a Gentile, as we said earlier. And in this age, a Jew and Gentile means you're unsaved. You're not saved. So hopefully that answers a little bit. But I will pause, see if there are other questions out there, other thoughts before we close. Oh, uh, yes, I have a question. Um, I'm driving, so I don't have no um, Bible on me. I have on me, but I can't open up. I'm driving. In Romans chapter 10, it speaks about um, Paul praying that he hoping that all Israel could be saved. Is that referring to both salvation and deliverance? Or because it says, with your mouth you must confess that you are, you know, so... I'm asking it, is this Romans 10, 9, and 10? Yeah, I think it's the beginning part of Romans, but it, it also goes to 9 and 10 also. So, 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 yeah, so Romans 10, 9, and 10, are you, so your question is, is this referring, or is this referring? Paul had a, uh, yeah, Paul had a desire to be saved, but he 
ones that all um, Israel will, 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 will be saved. So is, is, is that pretended to, to both? Yes. So Romans 10, 9 and 10 is for both Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter. So just like our verse says, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. It's the same Lord who richly blesses all who call on him. So whether they're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Uh, but in this particular verse, in this particular chapter, Paul is talking directly about Jewish people. That is the burden on his mind, Jewish people. So he, that's why he gives scriptures from the Old Testament, because uh, they would understand that. They will be able to identify with that. So he is, what, what burdens him is, is Israel's salvation. But yes, the truth of the matter is, yeah, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is we, we know calling on the name of the Lord is believing in Jesus Christ. That's what it is, literally. And we're going to talk so, about that so next that week. So that verse says, after you must confess, to which all you must believe that Jesus Christ raised from, 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 from the, the dead, yes, it that, also speaks about yeah. salvation. But okay. Yeah, but that's a metaphor, remember. So that comes from verse 8, right? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the message we, we, we have concerning faith that we proclaim. So Paul is using this, you know, if you look at verses 6 through 8, he's, he's giving an analogy of how Israel should have obeyed the law. It was right there. They didn't have to go up to heaven or somewhere to bring it down to bring it up. It was near them. It was literally in their mouth, he says. So then he uses that to talk about salvation, how salvation is right near you as well. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is simply believe. It's already The word is already in your mouth. In your heart, you can believe. In your mouth, you can confess. So it is a play on words for Paul to talk about confessing with your mouth. That is coming from those analogies that he was drawing for those Jews who uh, had the law and, it, and they refused to keep it. He's saying, you should have been able to keep the law. It was right there in front of you. Don't, tr don't try to say it's too far for us or who's going to bring the law down, right? So those verses that came from Deuteronomy that Paul makes this analogy out of. So Romans 10, 9, and 10, even though he's talking about it from a Jewish perspective, sure, it's true for us. Salvation is near us, right? It is not far from any of us. Not only... Is it, is it known, but we got the Holy Spirit working internally for each person in the world. Remember, if God did all this, he condemned all of mankind. He, uh, you know, he allowed that a sin nature be transmitted through one man, through to all of his pro, pro, progeny. And he, he caused death through one sin, death through all. And then on top of that, he provided a solution to all of those things. He has to be able to communicate that to all mankind. How does he do it? It's just like we read in Acts chapter 17. Don't think because you live in some place that is where they speak a different language and they serve different gods. Don't think that God is not working in the hearts of those people. He is. And Acts 17 says, yes, he is. So... Uh, He's given this analogy to from an Israel uh, Jewish perspective, but sure, it's true for Gentiles too, as we have come to the verses where we are now. It talks about anybody, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. You call on the name of the Lord, you can be saved. 
That's the moment of salvation for you, in fact. I'll pause, Dave. Go right ahead. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. I was, that's why I was studying on, on SoundCloud about that, you know. Romans 9, it is also, it's a curse to Romans 10. Romans 10, 9, and 10, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Right. Good stuff. Good stuff. So hopefully everybody gets that point, and we could talk about it more if we need to. But that's where we went through verses 6 through 8 to develop that analogy uh, from the Old Testament. Paul is giving a, a lesson to the Jews to help them understand how easy it is for salvation. It is that near to you. So I'll pause. And when it, when it says all shall be saved, all that believe. All that, where, where does it say? It says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah. And how do you so do that? I'm referring to where it says all of Israel. Well, it says all of Israel will be saved. That's all of Israel that believes. Now, where are you seeing that? Not in this, but in Romans 11 is where you're saying? No, no, that, that's what David just quoted. That's the scripture David just quoted. Oh, well, all Israel will be saved is referring to that they will have to believe. Yeah, absolutely. There is no just God's going to flip the switch and then save Israel. Remember, are, are they any better? Do they have any advantage? You know, we Jews have any advantage? Paul says, absolutely not. We're all under sin. So they got to come through the door the same way everybody else has to come through the door. There's no exceptions whatsoever. So... Like he says, how's he going to do? He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I will take away their sins. So they will come to know that Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. They will come to know that he paid for their sins and that he was judged for the sins of uh, their sins. And now he is the savior. They can put their trust in him. And they will. They will. Yeah. So that's Romans 11, yeah, 25, 26, something like that. Good questions. Appreciate that. All right. Other thoughts before we wrap this up? All right. All right. We will wrap this up with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We thank you for those questions as well and those who've asked. We, we pray that uh, what we have studied uh, will resonate with our thinking as we go over these things in our minds and as we look at what the Word actually is telling us. We thank you for uh, what you have given us and we pray that as we continue to walk in truth, and, and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you will give us clearer and clearer understanding that we will come to know you even better. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.